Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. My name is Taylor Bickle and we're starting right here, episode uh, episode one of, of semester four with Billy Wilder. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different than we have in the past. I'm actually going to make this kind of a double feature. Um, we're going to start with the first two... The first two movies that Billy Wilder was significantly involved in of any, at least of any repute of, of any worth discussing, I guess. Not to say that any of the movies that he uh, wrote between these two movies aren't worth talking about, just these are the ones that kind of stand out. So we're going to start with uh, Mention am Sonntag, or uh, People on Sunday. Uh, this is a film that if you want to track it down, um, you can find it... Um, there's actually a Criterion Collection Blu-ray of it, um, so it's actually very easy to get, get a hold of. Um, let me l let me kind of set the scene for you, though. So Billy Wilder was living in Berlin, uh, working as a newspaper man, just kind of barely making ends meet. But he hung out with these other young guys who wanted to get in the movie business, were in the movie business, but were working as technicians. Um... You know, these guys, these young guys that were all trying to make a name for themselves and they, they would all hang out at the, I'm going to butcher the name, the, the, the pronunciation of this, but the Romaniscus, uh, cafe in Berlin. Um, the Romanesque cafe is what that translates to. So he's hanging out with guys like Robert Ziodmak, his brother, Kurt Ziodmak, uh, Edgar G. Omer, um, who at that time had worked on some pretty big, stuff for ufa um ufa was the big movie studio in germany at the time he i want to say he'd worked on things like metropolis and sunrise um big big names big big movies for big big names um i believe primarily for fritz lane um but as well for uh possibly fw murnau i'm not sure about that um there was also fred zinnemann but these guys also knew and i'm a I'm going to butcher this guy's first name, Eugen, Eugen Schuften of the Schuften Process, which you may not be familiar with. It was a very popular um, visual effect uh, technique at the time, um, specifically in Germany. The Schuften Process basically involves miniatures, mirrors, and real people. And if you line the mirrors up just right with the miniatures and, and shoot it just right with the camera, it, 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 it's very convincing. Um, uh, it's a very convincing way of making people feel like they're in the miniature or even adding to your set if you do it right. Um, so that's the Schuften process. Um, and you can Schuften, he had come to Hollywood, didn't really work too well there for whatever reason, and um, ended up going back to Germany. He was a very, very well-respected cinematographer, but he was kind of the only one that these guys knew who was really working in the business. And one day, somebody they knew was able to scrape together a few thousand German marks uh, so that they could make their first picture. I, I want to say it was about 5,000 marks. And they decided that what they were going to do was make an almost documentary-style film about young people enjoying their weekend. Now, again, for some context here, in Germany and I believe in other parts of the world, there was a, it was standard that there was a six-day work week. So Sunday was the only day that anyone had off. So if they're going to film people enjoying their weekend, it's going to be Sunday, hence the title, People on Sunday. 
but that also meant that the cast and crew were only available on Sunday as well. So they had to shoot every, one day a week for months to put this movie together. And due to their limited schedule and their almost as limited budget, um, they had to use real people to play these roles. Um, you know, they couldn't afford actors. They had to just get real people. And they ended up kind of writing the characters around these real people. Um, it's Wilder says that they were doing Italian neorealism before Italian neorealism was a thing, um, which if you're not familiar with, neorealism was a post-war, post-World War II movement in Italy. Uh, the filmmakers there had very little resources, and so they shot documentary-style films, even though they were very narrative-driven and they used non-actors, the whole deal. But Wilder, Wilder likes to joke that they were doing this before even the Italians were, because this is a silent film. This movie came out in 1927, 1929, something like that. So you got this group of these, of these, just this handful of guys going out and making a movie on the on the weekend and by that i mean sunday um just doing everything that they can um everyone ended up doing doing everything in fact in in the book conversations with billy wilder which is a great book that cameron crow put together cameron crow sat down to interview billy wilder much in the same way that Francois Truffaut sat down with Alfred Hitchcock and just interviewed him and talked to him about his movies and the way he works and all those kinds of things. Um, so in the book Conversation with Billy Wilder, Billy said, Robert Ziodmak directed it. We all directed it. We all placed the lights. It was everyone's first official picture except the cameraman. Everybody was doing everything on this film because there was no way to do it any other way. But nominally, the credits break down like this. Robert Ziodmak and Edgar G. Ulmer are credited as the directors. Kurt Ziodmak and Billy Wilder were the writers. Eugen Schuften was obviously the director of photography, whereas Billy calls him the cameraman. That's kind of an older school term. And Fred Zinneman was basically the camera assistant. And the movie came out pretty good. Even Billy Wilder, who, <laughs> who, if you read any of his stuff, he's very, um, very humble about many of his projects. Even he says, "Yeah, the film came out pretty good." The thing is, though, he was very unhappy with the way uh, Robert Ziodmak directed it. See, Ziodmak had a tendency to what we call discover things on the day. He would let the actors try it a couple of times, and if they did something interesting that he wasn't planning on, he would lean into that. Or if they found something on the set that they weren't on location that they weren't planning on, he would lean into that. Um, kind of going with this momentary inspiration, but Billy really wanted him not only to stick to the pages that he and his he and Robert's brother Kurt had written, but the things that the entire group had agreed on. But that didn't really stop Robert from just kind of doing what he felt was right at the you know on the day, moment to moment. The thing is though. Even though Billy wasn't happy with the way Robert Ziodmak directed it, the film did bring out an immediate, though modest, success, and it ended up launching all these guys' careers. Uh, Robert Ziodmak ended up signing with Ufa the night of the premiere. Um, he did another film with his, that was written by his, by his brother Kurt and Billy. Ended up working in uh in ufa for for a long long time eventually coming to hollywood not do not making a huge splash here in the united states um the only title i saw on his imdb that that i recognize in that that i thought was kind of cool was the son of dracula and of course i'm a i'm a big fan of those old universal studios horror movies so to me that was kind of cool um kurt ziodmak also started working at ufa became a writer 
then came to Hollywood and became a Hollywood writer. But again, but much like his brother, ended up working in a lot of B pictures, including the Universal Horror Pictures. He, um, I I couldn't recognize immediately um, where I knew Kurt Ziodmak's name from, but um, but when I looked him up on IMDb, I was like, oh, of course. He wrote The Wolfman. He also wrote Son of Dracula that his brother Robert directed. He wrote a lot of these um, Universal Studios horror films. Um, Eugen Schuften eventually was able to come back to Hollywood. Uh, he eventually won the Oscar for uh, the Paul Newman film The Hustler. Uh, Fred Zinnemann became a Hollywood director. Um, some of his most notable films are High Noon, From Here to Eternity, and uh, Man for All Seasons. And then uh, Edgar G. Omer also became a Hollywood director, not of great repute, but I, I do want to um, give a shout out to one of his films, uh, which was one of the earliest film noirs called Detour. And as many of you know, we're going to get into um, we're going to get into another one of the earliest film noirs that Billy Wilder did. So that's why I felt that that might be worth mentioning. Um, so Billy signs with Ufa as a writer, writes many, many, many films. Um, but he says in his biography, Nobody's Perfect, he says, I remember the exact moment I wanted to become a director. I wrote some pictures in Berlin. In one of them, there was a kind of discotheque of the 1920s. There was a sign at the entrance that said, you must wear a tie and shoes to get in. I wrote that a guy with a beard down to the floor comes along. The man at the doors looks under the beard. Yes, he's got shoes. Then he lifts his beard some more to see if he's got a tie. Yes, he's got a tie. I go to the picture and the director has given the guy a little Van Dyke beard. It was obvious he had no tie. What did the director think was funny now? It was not a good joke anyway, but this shows what happens when directors make changes in the script without thinking. This sets up Billy's frustration and it sets up why Billy became a director. First, you have Robert Ziodmak who who's changing things on the day and then you have you have other directors at ufa who are changing billy's script to the point where where the script no longer even makes sense in many places however though it took the rise of hitler to propel him into directing let me explain when when adolf hitler came to power billy left germany because billy was an austrian-born jew so he leaves for paris and in Paris, he finds a new group of young filmmakers who are not only bored, but they needed something to do for work. So they do a film called, and I'm, I don't speak French, so forgive me if I, if I butcher this title. I believe it's called Mauvais Grain, yeah, um, which translates to Bad Seed, I believe. So this small group of filmmakers, a different small group of filmmakers, throw in together, get some money, and they make another low budget picture but this time billy gets to direct and he said this again in his biography nobody's perfect he said i directed out of pure necessity and without any experience i cannot say that i had any fun making Mauvais grain we were always having to change the script to fit what we had or didn't have there was pressure people depend on you and you aren't really in control but you can't show that or everyone gets nervous i like to have a script and more or less stick to it being inventive is fine, but you want to do as as much of that as you can before everybody is standing around waiting. 
he says later in the same book, he says, we did Moves Grand on a shoestring. We didn't use a soundstage. Most of the interiors were shot in a converted auto shop, even the living room set. And we did the automobile chases without transparencies live on the streets. It was exhausting. The camera was mounted on the back of a truck or in a car. We were constantly improvising. So the funny thing is Billy ends up having to do what every other director before him had done. And he, he gets a taste of what it has to be to be a director or, or, or he gets a taste of what it means to be a director. He says, let me go back here. He says, there was pressure. People depend on you and you aren't really in control, but you can't show that or everyone gets nervous. And that's one of the most important things about directing is as the director, you are looked to as 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 the 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 admiral of the fleet, the general of the troops, you are leading and you have to stay cool. You have to stay you have to make it feel like you're in control, even when you're not, because there's a lot of things that are out of your control. And that's usually where the improvising comes in. But he also says something very, very important here, and that is being inventive is fine, but you want to do as much of that as you can before everybody is standing around waiting. This isn't just a sticking to the script, doing what's right for the story. It's a it's a leadership thing. It's it's a matter of of being being that general beforehand so that when you get to the set Everybody knows what we're doing and we can go do it instead of everybody standing around asking, what are we doing? It doesn't seem like our director knows what they're doing because we're, we're constantly reinventing everything on the day. We need, we need to get this done. And especially when you're on a low, low budget, like, like Movis Grain or even, or even people on Sunday, time becomes your most precious of resources, not the money. Because the thing is that the time is, the time and the money are connected. The longer the shoot goes on, the more money you have to spend. So if you can get in and get out quickly, you end up saving yourself a lot of financial hassle. And we're going to talk later about about the way Billy liked to improvise, the way he liked to to invent things, to take suggestions from actors or from other people. We'll we'll end up talking a lot about that. But um, for now, it's enough to say. You got to do it beforehand. It either needs to be in the writer's room, you know, where you go through every possible permutation of what the scene could be and you land on the best one. And then, you know, on that day, no, this is the best version. So this is how it should be. Or or you need to have time with the actors or the director of photography or whoever before before everybody's there that you can figure out what's best. So there's that. There's one more little thing that I want to leave you with, though, and that is um, that comes from an interview that you can find on YouTube. It was uh, recorded and edited by the Writers Guild, the WGA, um, from a series that they did called The Writer Speaks. And he says this and that. He says, someone asked me, is it really a big advantage if a director also writes? I said, no. It's not a big help if the director also knows how to write, but what is absolutely necessary is that the director knows how to read. I would sometimes get on set, but you watch and you say, this guy does not quite know what the point of the picture is. He's talking about when he was at UFA or even later when he was in Hollywood and he was just a writer. He'd get on set, watch what the director was doing, and he and 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 realize that the director had a completely different idea of what the script was. You know, this this goes back to 
back to what he said about about the guy with the beard and how the director changed it from a very very long beard to a short little goatee if you're going to direct it's not important that you can also write it's important that you can read it's important that you can pick up a script and understand the heart of the script what's there what works why it works what maybe needs to change but why it needs to change this is something that billy said repeatedly in interviews it's not important that the director knows how to write. It's important that he knows how to read. It's important that, he, that, that the director can pick up a script and get to the heart of it very, very, very quickly and easily and understand why everything is in that script that is in that script. So that's all I've got. I'm sure you can understand why I tried to pair these together. They do kind of go together, and it gave me a little bit more time to filibuster and give some more content for you guys. I, wanted, I didn't want to short you on this first episode if I didn't have to. Um, anyway... Let me wrap up the story here of, of Bad Seed of Mauvais Grain. Billy ended up leaving Paris for the U.S. before Mauvais Grain was even re- released in the French cinemas. So he never got to see how his film ended up actually creating a star in Daniel Dario. Um, this was the first film she was in. She ended up having a career that lasted at seven or eight decades, I think. But yeah, um, by the way, I just want to point out... Um, Mauvais screen is very hard to get your hands on. There is someone selling a DVD copy. I think it's a bootleg. Um, it's still really worth it, though. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of, of People on Sunday, but I do think there's some interesting things in it. Mauvais Grain is a fascinating film. Let me spell it for you real quick. It's M-A-U-V-A-I-S-E. Grain, G-R-A-I-N-E, is how they spell it. Um, you can also look it up under Billy Wilder, The Bad Seed, I believe. Movies um, Grain has some really fascinating things in it, but you can tell that it's still an early, early Billy Wilder. If you're familiar at all with Billy's work, there's going to be some things in it that you're not really going to recognize, but you are going to see an ambitious young filmmaker. And the reason that it's not Billy Wilder yet is because Billy had not yet met Ernst Lubitsch, who is the director of the film we're going to talk about in the next class session, Ninochka. And um, if you're not familiar with the relationship between Ernst Lubitsch and Billy Wilder, you will be by the time we get done with Ninochka. Um, Billy was one of the screenwriters on Ninochka. Ernst was the director. Um, and Lubitsch had such a strong influence on, on Billy that... We have to talk about Ninochka, um, and you're going to see that Lubitsch touch in films like The Major and the Minor and Double Indemnity, which will be our next two after Ninochka. Um, anyway, that's all I have for this week, uh, for this class session. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, you can reach out to HitchcockUniversity at gmail.com. That's our email. There's also a Hitchcock University Facebook page. And, uh, and our Twitter handle, uh, Hitchcock underscore U, the letter U as in university. Um, like I said, that's it. Uh, thank you again so much for listening. We'll come back in a couple of weeks with the major and the minor. Thank you so much.